Welcome to episode 87 of the Roger Snipe Show. The Roger Snipes Show. I want to talk to you about Keon Oregano Oil. Oregano? Isn't that just herbs which you sprinkle on your food? Well, it's not just a herb. Keon has used a special extraction process to increase its concentration and make it more potent, creating an oil. Now, oregano oil has phenols and antioxidants that can support your immune system and restore balance to your microbiome. The ingredients are clean and organic, just like all Keon products, using organic wild and organic sweet almond oil. To learn more and get yourself on a 30 mil bottle, visit getkeon.com forward slash Roger Snipes and use code SNIPES20 for 20% off. Wouldn't it be good to know when you're actually burning fat without guessing and calorie counting? Well, there is. And it's with a device called Lumen. It's the world's first handheld portable device that actually measures your metabolism. Lumen uses a CO2 sensor and flow meter to determine the CO2 concentration in a single breath. This indicates the type of fuel you're burning, i.e. carbohydrates or fats. I use this every morning, just before a fasted cardio, to check whether I'm in fat burning or carb burning mode. This way, you can plan your previous day's meal for the following day. Depending what your goals are, Lumen can keep a record of your breath intake and structure a plan for you so you can meet your goals easier. This device is revolutionary. I don't need to guess and see if it's working after. I just need to breathe in the Lumen and it tells me. Stop guessing and start progressing and check out Lumen now on www.lumen.me and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. Yo, what's going on, peeps? I hope all is blessed. All is blessed. I myself am great. You know, just keeping healthy as always. It's um, it's quite interesting. I would say every single week I've got <laughs> new orders of new different types of supplements or new types of foods that I'm experimenting with to see how my body responds to it, how my mind feels when I eat it, and energy levels. It's uh, it's like I'm experimenting with myself all the time, and it's quite fun. It's quite fun. Look, I, I actually enjoy it. Um, it's funny, a lot of people, they probably have a certain list of foods which they eat on a regular basis and I would say for me uh, it grows all the time all the time I don't eat the same all the time uh, there's a couple of base ingredients that might be there like maybe blueberries uh, and I don't know I don't even know if there's any more blueberries and, and maybe some protein like chicken or beef and eggs um, but even the fat sources can just vary and the legumes and the different nuts. It's, it's quite interesting. I would always, 
what's the word? I would always um, suggest to try to keep your food diverse for a more diverse ecosystem for your microbiome. Just a free tip to, to throw in there. <laughs> anyway, today's guest goes by the name of Peter Crone, aka the Mind Architect. First, I just want to say what a cool name. I mean, Peter Crone is cool, but the Mind Architect. That, that's something different, I swear. <laughs> I think we should all approach our name that way in terms of the framework in which our mind stands upon and the constructs which govern our thoughts. I think that's pretty cool. Our perception is our personal reality. It isn't about what it is, it's about what we think it is. It's like the saying or expression, it's not what you think I am, it's what I think <laughs> you think I am which determines the feedback our brain receives. Having a chat with Peter, he has a unique approach to taking people out of their world, uh, which they perceive, and giving them new lenses to view the world, uh, which is really fascinating when speaking to him. Now, he has worked with corporate executives, uh, sports professionals, um, or just your average general person looking to abundantly improve their mindset. Now, as we are on the subject of Peter, he has a workshop called Freedom from Anxiety, which starts from June the 26th at 1pm PST. So this is just over a week away. Make sure you check it out. I don't think it will be anything less than phenomenal. So I believe the website is series.petercrone.com. That is series.petercrone.com. So check that out. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Anyhow, without further ado, let's bring on Peter Crone, the mind architect. So, Peter, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing excellent, mate. Good to see you. Good to see you too, my friend. Good to see you too. I've seen, I've seen your work about. I think I came across your your name through. I went to a coaching course. And okay. There was a guy who actually called himself the Mind Architect or Mind Architect or something. And how rude. So, yeah. So, uh, okay. So let me get this straight. Are you the Mind Architect or Mind Architect? Which one is it? The Mind Architect. Yeah. Okay. So he yeah. was Mind Architect. <laughs> so he said <laughs> the Mind Architect was taken. I was like, what? So what? you can do that? I, I was like, who is this dude anyway? Who is the Mind Architect? So... I thought that was such a cool name. So I decided like, let me Thank Google you. this. And I came across uh, your website and I, was, I, and I was like, this is pretty cool. And I started to look up your material and then I followed you on Instagram. I was like, I like this guy, you know? I like, so, so that's how I came across your page. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, love what you do. Um, I think it's really incredible to be honest. Um, Appreciate that. 
You mentioned that a little bit earlier, just before we recorded, that we've got like a, a, a mutual friend, Tim. Tim Gray. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So how do you know Tim? I met him here at um, Upgrade Labs, you know, Dave Asprey and all the, you know, the biohacking world. So Tim was actually presenting and I'd been invited as a potential future, you know, keynote speaker, presenter or whatever. And I happened to sit in on Tim's uh, little seminar there for 45 minutes or whatever it was. And um, I was like, oh, this guy's pretty cool. He's got some good things to say. So we kind of chatted a little bit, you know, obviously being fellow Brits, there was a little bit of simpatico there. So, um, yeah. yeah, we stayed in touch. That's awesome. I was trying yeah. to figure out your accent. Like, it's it's got a touch of something else going on. What, what is it? Is it? It's a bit of a hybrid, isn't it? Like, well, I grew up, I mean, obviously you're much more strong. I don't know where you grew up, but it sounds like it's got a little bit more London to it. Mine's probably softer because I came from the south you know I was from Dover mate originally but I never spoke like that did I all right <laughs> Dover's pretty so, nice. um, but I can do you know I can do all the different accents I lived in Australia for two years so you know I slipping into the Aussie mate that's no worries right we throw a couple of shrimps on the barbie it's all good you know? <laughs> and then you've got the South African you know not that I lived in South Africa but you can do that quite easily <laughs> and, and then I once had to use an American accent to get myself out of a parking, but my car was about to get towed in London. <laughs> so I ran down the road. Unfortunately, I was having lunch at a restaurant. I forget where I was, but it was over one of the beautiful canals. And my car was parallel parked on the side of the canal. And so from where we were sitting, I happened to just be able to see it. This, I kid you not, you know, a lorry came by and was just about to literally pick the damn thing up. So I come running down the street and I'm like, oh my God, officer, I'm so sorry, excuse me. I was so confused about which meter was mine. <laughs> you know, he just rolled his eyes like dumb American. And so yeah, I got I, away with it. I like yeah. it. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. take notes on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so my point is, I don't know, I don't know where, where I ended up, but it's obviously a hybrid of everything. But. Yeah, maybe, uh, <laughs> a, a, a touch of Aussie. Ooh, is that my research? A touch, yeah, a little twang in there. Yeah. I think what's happened, honestly, like I enjoy, you know, when I reconnect with people from England because I tend to slip back into proper British, you know, but over here, I found, honestly, for the first couple of years that having a stronger British accent was a little bit of an obstacle to a smooth conversation because the Americans kept saying, excuse me, excuse me. And I was like, okay, I've got to just, you know, make a little adaptation here so that they can uh, actually understand what I'm saying. You know, a few of the colloquialisms, I occasionally will say past as opposed to past. And <laughs> past. <laughs> so anyway. Where, where do you reside? Which part? Uh, I'm in California. Oh, beautiful. That's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. LA area. Yeah. So I've traveled around. I like you, you know, I was in the fitness world. I don't know if you know my background, but I, uh, I trained a couple of the, uh, celebs for five years uh taking care of them in uh movies oh, so i was in australia for two years i was back in london for a couple of years i was in spain i was in new york so i was all over yeah i was gonna i was gonna come to that like i was gonna find out what your story is so um obviously okay. you, you specialize in uh revealing i think you said limited beliefs on your on your profile um and uh, the subconscious narratives so yeah what you what got you on the on the roads to becoming 
the mind architect like <laughs> not to be confused with mind architect check that one out you need, you need to find this dude i'm like yeah i know what the hell that's actually i mean you know i don't have anywhere near the following you do but it's grown pretty quickly and we've already had i think a dozen like 12 plus fake accounts like you know i guess you know when you've sort of somewhat made it when people are trying to rip you off yeah um but there's definitely been a few of the quote unquote mind architect conversation but to answer your question um it was just an organic process i mean even in uni you know i went to loughborough and um i think i was always seen as the friend anyone could come and talk to at that point it was a, usually you know girl problems which is still a lot of the stuff I help people with, but um, relationships. So I was just a good listener, you know, I really cared and I didn't come from judgment. And so there was sort of this natural foundation that I built throughout the course of my life where I just had a lot of compassion. You know, I've been through a lot of hardship in my own life. And so I think it allowed me to have a lot of patience with people, a lot of love and acceptance. And that was just a, that was a good arena for people to be able to speak about things that were a little bit sensitive or vulnerable to them. And then I sort of started to just become a profession and I played with different monikers. Like I was called the hip man for the ego or a spiritual teacher or the happiness guru, I think once in some of the British tabloids. So, um, and then eventually I came to mind architect. I wanted something that was unique. And so it wouldn't be contaminated with this, you know, preconceived idea. Like if someone says, Oh, he's a spiritual teacher. It's, it's people already have created the idea that I'm some guy walks around with flowing robes and I burn incense and I, you know, rub coconut oil over people, you know, whatever. I mean, which I do. On the, I do that on the weekends, but <laughs> <laughs> I get you. I get you. Yeah. And I guess it gets people thinking as well, like my architect. And then, yeah, you know, you get a kind of visual concept of it, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's it sort of the wording itself. Obviously, this is where I'm focused. Like I tell people, if you want to work on your relationship, work on your mind. If you want to work on your body, work on your mind. If you want to work on your career and your finances, work on your mind. You know, it's like all my pro athletes I help with, you know, okay, they have to work on their craft, but I'm like, work on your mind first. To me, the mind is the container for everything else. So that's obviously the location. And then architecture was something I was always fascinated with because it's really how we build something. It's the, the integrity of a structure, and so the integrity of someone's persona is derived from the conditioning of their childhood predominantly. And then we just reinforce our patterns invariably for the worse, you know, because we get to be right always about our limitations. And I told you that was too good to be true or whatever people say, just so that they can confirm their inadequacies. And so I was like, OK, let's let's do some uh, tenant improvements of the skull and, you know, uh, make a slightly nicer uh, environment for people to live in up there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so true. So um, yeah. if you were to narrow it down to, let's say, uh, one, I'm just trying to, how do I, how do I word this? Um, what, if you were to narrow it down to one thing, what would you say is the primary reason for limiting beliefs? Just one. If you, if you could pick one just like one word or one sentence, mm -hmm. what would it be? Um, Maybe liberation. Liberation. Yeah. Okay. So my main product I tell people is freedom. 
right? But by virtue of the fact that we live in a dualistic dimension, meaning we only get to experience something by virtue of something else, which is why relationships are so powerful, because we don't know ourselves without relationship, right? So I often use the example, if you're lying in bed and you feel a bit hot, but you just sort of slide your leg out to the right, you know, you can find a cooler part of the bed, but it's only cooler relative to where you were, right? Mm -hmm. So why I took a minute to answer your question, I would have said freedom, but I think liberation people can understand because why limiting beliefs to answer your question is such that by virtue of relativity comparison, we can experience freedom, which I assert is our true nature, but we don't get to experience that if we don't have the preceding form of constraint. Mm. yeah makes sense makes sense yeah right. wow yeah cool yeah I'll, i don't mess around i like to go deep pretty quick so yeah. we're basically here to emancipate ourselves from the the illusions of our subconscious constraints yeah mm. yeah 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 um talking of subconscious like what would you say um how, how would a person develop uh, the subconscious mind like most people I would say develop an unhealthy relationship with their subconscious. And yeah. some people might not even know that it exists. They just know Absolutely. what is going on immediately. But, yeah. they, you know, they, they, in, in, in terms of like developing it, they have no idea. What would you say? Um, how would a person, what's the best way for a person to develop it? Well, we all do it naturally just by virtue of being human. So the, the, the time frame when it happens predominantly is in our childhood because right. the way that our brain is receiving and mimicking our environment, that's the period that we're developing at, at a sort of exponential rate. And our brain is acting much more like a tape recorder. There's less discernment. So children happen to be very gullible, as we know, right? Because they're not necessarily going through a filter of intelligence because they don't have any frame of reference. They can't go, oh, hang on a minute. I'm recognizing this pattern of behavior from a previous experience that I've had. I mean, it sort of feels a bit sketchy. You know, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's get in a van and go and pet some puppies or, you know, as a terrible stereotype, right? Yeah. But, you know, kids unfortunately have this, this very open mind. So that's or why it's imperative. Huh? Sorry, did you say unfortunately? Fortunately or unfortunately, but I'm yeah. saying unfortunately relative to the, you know, the, the constraints that get um, embedded. So this is why it's imperative for parents to be able to understand these mechanisms so that they can be conscious of the way that they are basically speaking to their child because it's like programming. So that's how it happens. And then after that, it has to become repetition. You know, I, I started to learn the piano for a while when I was younger. I wanted to be outside and play footy, to be honest, but, you know, I played for a minute, but to practice, we had to keep doing our scales. So the other way that we develop subconscious patterns is by repetition. We develop a habit until such time that that habit becomes an unconscious process, meaning when you get into your car and you drive, you know, when you first went for your test, and I, I did my test, you know, growing up in England. So obviously we, we had to do a manual over here, everything in the States is automatic. And so when you start, you're not, you know, I can remember like the intrepidation, the concern, because it's like, oh my gosh, you're like, wait, left foot on the clutch, like, and I've got to let that up slowly and then put the right foot on the accelerator and you're changing gear. And you know, there's a lot of moving parts for the brain that's trying to assimilate a new behavior. 
then, you know, within a year, I'm driving to uni, I'm on the phone, and I'm eating a sandwich, you know, it's like, and you're driving, right? The driving part has now been assimilated into something that now is second nature. So that's why it becomes a little bit slippery, and it's very insidious for people to be able to actually access it, because now... I use metaphors a lot. If you build a house, you see the house, obviously, and you could work on, obviously, the interior decoration. You could change the taps and you could redo the bathroom and you could get new furniture. But it's very difficult to go down and change the foundations, right? And that's like the subconscious, right? So our persona is built on the foundation of our subconscious. So when people have anxiety, depression, relationship problems, health issues, financial worries, uh, they all live within a foundation is my specialty is to be able to help people reverse engineer and go, oh, it's because when I was three and then eight and 11, I kept this, you know, narrative of I'm not good enough or whatever it is. And now it's manifesting as an adult in my financial health relationship problems. Right, right. So, good <laughs> so you literally need to take them back to childhood in order to change the subconscious it's not a case of okay you need to develop new habits it's going back be like okay take me back to when you was i don't know it's it doesn't have to be but it's helpful right yeah. so you know i literally had a few people at my house yesterday just to hang out it was a memorial day holiday here in america mm. and one of the girls was talking about something she's dealing with. And so I was helping her to understand what she's actually dealing with at a deeper level. And so I said to her, when she was starting to get the feeling, I said, can you remember when you felt that as a child? And her brain immediately went to a particular memory of something to do with her mom and then her grandma. And so she, it was almost like, even though she's sitting here as a 35, 36 year old woman, she suddenly remembered her experience as a seven and eight year old, which was exactly the same. And so I use this expression, which is where our persona becomes severed in time. So basically, there's events that happen to all of us, you know, like I went through my stuff, you've gone through your stuff, but they might seem benign at the time. But to a child, it could be quite pivotal in the way it creates a, uh, a personality trait. And so for her, she'd go, wow, at that moment, in her case, she decided that it was up to her to take care of her mom, even though she's eight. Mm. And so now she's always taking care of people as a continuation of that. And then she wonders why she's dealing with, you know, exhaustion and whatever's going on with her body, do you see? So it, it didn't, we didn't have to go there. It just helped her to sort of isolate in time and space when it started. Mm-hmm. And it just gives people that feeling of empowerment. So oftentimes people will come and talk, you know, some of my athletes, they're talking about performance anxiety or whatever they're dealing with. We don't always have to go back. It just, it just helps to give them a frame of reference. Yeah, yeah. Talking of going back, <clears throat> you, you lost your, your mother at seven and your father at 17. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how did you deal with that? Like, how did your... How was your world to start off with? Are you still going through some troubled situations because of it? Or, you know, how, how was it losing both parents? Um, I mean, it was very tough. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how I dealt with it as a seven-year-old, you know, as a seven-year-old, I don't know if you know much at all. Um, so it was a very strange. I was an only child too. So it was a very strange experience 
you know, you just, as a kid, you don't comprehend much, right? Like I just wanted to go outside, play footy, you know, play with my friends and do whatever. And then you're, my mum had been sick. She died of cancer. So that wasn't such a surprise because I know she'd been in bed and they were trying to do different things. My dad was the tough one because there was a 10 year difference between my mum dying and my dad dying. So that 10 years, just by virtue of biology and being an only parent with his only son, we became incredibly close. Um, but he went to work one day on the ferries, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember the Zeebrugge disaster, but where the boat capsized in the harbour in Belgium. And so he was on that. And um, so it was kind of like a national disaster, you know, where a few hundred people died. And so that was that was really tough. Um, I don't know to what degree I'm still dealing with it. I think, you know, um, uh, as my dad would tell me, I'm old enough and ugly enough now to take care of myself. You know, he would tell me that when I was young. So I think at my ripe old age, you know, I think I've probably processed most of it. I can't honestly say like as a seven-year-old, I process everything that happened with my mom, but certainly with my dad. And then as, you know, by virtue of my own work, I've realized that death is a part of life you know it's like yeah. none of us are going to escape it and so I found a profound sense of acceptance and that was to go back to my word that was very liberating you know that was my freedom is to go okay I did have a very very strong fear of loss for a while so whenever yeah. I met a girlfriend for my liberation when I saw that pattern I was like oh okay I'm re I'm basically reliving my history over and over, which is what most people do all day. Mm. So that was, um, so yeah, so I, I think I dealt with it very well. Eventually, you know, it just took a while to process the grief and, you know, my dad was amazing. My mom was amazing. I don't have so many memories of her, but my dad was just such a loving man. So I can remember going to uni and a friend, when he found out, he said, wow, if you'd lined up all, I think, 16, 17,000 students and we had to pick the one person whose both parents had died, you probably would have been the last person I picked because you just have this vitality and you're so open and, you're, you know, not into the drug scene or anything like that. And I said, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. It's very flattering of you to say. And I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that my dad was just very loving. And so even though I only had him for 17 years, I feel grateful for the fact that he was a man who just adored me relative to some of my friends who maybe have had their dad for 70 years or 80 years, and maybe they don't feel quite seen still, you know? So um, there was a lot of quality there, even if there wasn't so much quantity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just trying to like, just <laughs> take it all in and think like, you know, losing your mom at, at seven, you know, yeah. it's, um, it's like, you know, you got your food in the oven and it's like not fully cooked, you know, all of a sudden yeah. you lose your mom. Now you just got your dad and, you know, you're a young man, then your dad's gone and it's like, wow, okay. Um, right. I need to do this by myself. Did you have... <clears throat> Did you have like foster parents or something or did you stay with friends or? How, how no, did I did have a stepmom. Uh, she came into my life when I was about 12 or 13. So she'd been in my life for like a good four, four years or something like that. And I mean, she's a lovely lady, but like it's a, you know, different. They never got married. So she lived in the house and, um, you know, we got along well. There was certainly no animosity or like drama, but, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not a real parent for me. So yeah. Um, pretty much after my dad died, I was finishing my A-levels. I had to take some time off school. 
So my grades suffered a little bit and I, you know, was predicted to go to Oxford or Cambridge with blah, blah, blah. And that didn't happen. But then I went to Loughborough and loved it. And I had a year out, which I know obviously is much more common in the UK. So I love that. And so basically after my dad passed, I became, you know, my own, uh, my own individual agent and just did my own thing. So it's interesting. That is interesting. What's your thoughts on tribes? Like it said, it's important to have a tribe, yeah, um, a community of people, you know, for your health. I, I recently done a podcast with someone, I've got his name now. Oh, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> I've got his, name. I've got his book, <laughs> Sean Wells. Okay. Sorry, Sean, if you're, uh, if you're watching or listening. And um, <laughs> one of his key factors or, or uh, uh, biohacks, he said, is having a tribe. He said that's like one of the, the biggest things for overall health. Um, yeah. My question is, what if you don't have a tribe? What if, you, what if you are in a toxic environment and everyone you know is not people that you really want to be spending the rest of your time with? You know? Well, yeah, what if you just don't have a tribe? You could be an only person. You know, yeah. some people are alone. Maybe even as, you know, when you lost your parents, maybe you felt like, well, I don't have a tribe. People don't understand me. Not other people are going through what I have gone through. Right. Very much. And it was actually, I think, one of the pivotal moments in terms of my own career, my own ability to have compassion and empathy for people, as I can distinctly remember soon after my dad had died, like within a couple of days of us getting the notification because they're pulling bodies out of the wreck. And so, you know, you're watching on TV, people are coming out of the water, they're putting blankets around people, just hoping that one of them is going to be my dad. And eventually, you know, that didn't happen. And then they found out that he was still in his, his office down at the bottom of the boat. But anyway, so that moment, you know, really did speak to your question, which is I felt completely and utterly alone. And it was the worst feeling. And I think it's what's allowed me to have so much compassion for people because the part of the human being that I'm dealing with is the ego, which is really speaking to those subconscious patterns, which by design is a separate entity. We feel separate, like Roger's over there, Peter's here. And we, we look at the big bad world and then we try and survive as this individual isolated unit. So we could say tribe, ultimate tribe is humanity, is mother nature. Right, that's the ultimate tribe. And that's really what I discovered is that I'm not separate from anything or anyone. And so once we transcend that with religions and nationalities and creeds and colors and all of the stuff that people think separates us and you recognize, no, we're all part of the whole, then that to me is true union. That is true love, right? I'm not some individual who's trying to fit in or be liked or get followers or find some sense of value in the marketplace, all of those things in my world are inherent. And that's a very liberating experience. So to go from a 17-year-old standing in his bedroom in a complete state of just the depths of suffering because I felt the visceral experience of being alone. Most people can be married, they have family, their parents might still be alive, but they feel alone because that's the lens they're looking through. You know, people can be married for 10 years and they feel lonely in their marriage, right? So, but I, mine was very visceral. Like it wasn't like a thought, it was an actual experience. So, so for that reason to your question, yes, tribe is vital, 
But I think there's different ways of defining tribe. We can have pockets, we can have small communities. Your tribe might be your immediate biological family and hopefully that's a beautiful unit. But as human beings, as mammals, we thrive on a sense of belonging, right? And so anything that is separated, the second law of thermodynamics talks about how an isolated unit will atrophy. So you put a, a prisoner, the worst thing is what? Solitary confinement. Mm. Because without that sense of union and communion and camaraderie, then we start to sort of just unravel. And so that's why tribe is vital because that sense of belonging uh, is what gives that community support. Like it takes a village, all these expressions that we hear. Uh, and I think it's why we also see in elder couples who've been married for say 40, 50, 60 years, that when one of them dies, the invariably the other one dies within a week or two. Right, because their sense of their reason, their sense of belonging has equally diminished. And so there's no more purpose for that human being. So it's huge. It's huge. You know, I think we can also get to a place. I spend a lot of time by myself. I enjoy my own company. I'm very, I'm prolifically creative. I'm writing my first book. I, you know, I work with a lot of people around the world. So you can spend time alone, but not be lonely. <laughs> by virtue of the energy that I feel like I'm part of a, a bigger collective. So, um, you, you know, tribe is important, but I think it can be an energetic experience too, where I feel like I've got a sense of belonging just by virtue of being human and being on planet earth. And, you know, I do enjoy community, of course. Mm -hmm. So there's one part of your question I didn't address, which is if people don't have tribe, then yeah, that's tough, you know, and that can be really isolating and lonely and depressing. So, you know, the immediate answer would be create one or, you know, spread your wings, you know, get out. Like I had one client I helped in one of my courses actually called Free Your Mind. Um, he left his family in D.C., the East Coast, came to L.A. to pursue his dreams and aspirations. And he was always getting a lot of heat from his family for sort of having left. But and that took a lot because it was against like the quote unquote, will of his family. So it took a lot for him to get out, but he knew they weren't his people. Obviously they're his family, but in terms of, he was a dreamer, you know, and they wanted him to have a nine to five. So it, it, it can take a lot of effort to break out of, you know, a paradigm that you're stuck in just by virtue of maybe your genetics, you know, meaning your family or your, you know, community of your church or your religion. And it can take, it takes a lot of effort to break out of that. But that's where you got to follow your instincts and your heart and your true aspirations, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. I mean, as you were saying about you uh, enjoy your own company, I love my own company. I yeah. really do. I really do. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because when this whole pandemic kicked off and lots of people were going through depression, yeah. Why is everyone depressed? <laughs> this <Right>. is amazing. <laughs> I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to see people. <laughs> I just felt great. Really enjoyed it. Right. Like talking on that, um, what's what's happening there with people that are suffering? Um, maybe things are slightly different now, but for those that were unable to deal with this situation, you know, the whole yeah. pandemic. What what do you think is going on in people's minds that, you know, the uh, 
depression, anxiety, and everything just rose up. People going on med medication, and you know, yeah. people going to hospital for that for depression, not just yeah. COVID. Like, what's yeah. what's going on there? What's going on in people's heads? Mainly fear, you know, more than like I, you know, we could go down the rabbit hole of whether this whole thing was planned or a scam or whatever, you know, like there's billions of freaking viruses out there. The, the way this has all been dealt with, as far as I'm concerned, is very tyrannical. You know, the actual causes of death and all of this, the way they manipulated the numbers and the comorbidities. I mean, it's crazy, you know, so, but what it did reveal is how scared people are of death and how scared people are of any sort of external boogie monster in this case, it was the perfect boogie monster because you can't see it. Like people are frantically wiping down cardboard boxes and, you know, it's insanity. It's insanity. But what it did reveal is that the human being, by design, one of our primordial imperatives is to survive. And so whenever there's a perceived threat, our survival instincts will kick in. Now, from a physiological standpoint, survival kicks in the sympathetic nervous system which most people know of as fight or flight or freeze, right? So external stimulus, in this case, some massively, you know, exaggerated boogie monster is turning on, like, you know, turning on through the propaganda and the media and whatever, the internal concern for one's own existence. So now that can manifest in one of two ways. Anxiety is obviously the closer bedfellow to fear, like people feeling scared. You can say, oh, I'm anxious. They're worried about what? Well, in this case, getting something that 99% of us are going to survive anyway. So it's all completely irrational. But nonetheless, it is triggering fear slash anxiety. Right. So if we look at the continuum of the experience of fear, you've got anxiety, you're going to have panic and terror like at one end, but then it can be mild concern or a little bit of worry at the other end. And so most people are sort of in the middle towards panic. Mm. But what's funny is depression and anxiety are bedfellows. They're two sides of the same coin. So it's the same response. So anxiety is more like the flight you know, whereas depression is more like the freeze. So you've got fight, flight or freeze. Anger is the fight, you know, but it's all still the same response. Right. It just manifests in different ways. So the fact that it shows up as anxiety or depression, it looks like it's different. And certainly the symptoms are. But my assertion is it's actually triggering the same mechanisms in the body by virtue of the way we're perceiving a potential threat. If somebody is being overly oppressed, which is what we're seeing, you know, the, the stripping away of our freedoms, People are showing up in different ways. We've got people who are defiant, which is great, who are standing up. They're the fighters, thank God. You know, you've got people who are just sitting there and they're just like worried and they're trying to run away. And then you've got the people who are just sort of paralyzed and they don't know what to do. But it's still the same mechanism just manifesting and masquerading as a different external reaction from themselves. So it's, you know, I did a video right at the beginning of um, the whole, you know, nonsense back in March of last year. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, COVID isn't creating any fear. It's not creating any fear. It's revealing the fear that's already there. So in a way, it's a beautiful process because it's excavating. Like many people have cancer, but they don't know about it. And oftentimes the cancer will itself, you know, just dissipate because we all have cancerous cells. But the body takes care of it and you don't know. But if you were told you would have it, 
then it's like, oh my God, like you people would freak out, but you've always had it, you just didn't know, right? So this is like, it's just revelatory, right? The virus is revealing that which people have always had, but they perhaps haven't processed. So at one level, this has been a gift for people to take a better look at themselves to see how corrupt all these systems are from government to pharma. You know, the whole, the whole facade and the illusion of healthcare is just so old, right? It's got nothing to do with healthcare. You take care of yourself, you're shredded. You know, it's like, this is a sick care system, disease management. It's got, they don't know anything about health. They, they save lives. I mean, listen, if you've got a serious infection, don't come and see Peter Crone, like go and see a doctor, that's awesome. But if you want to get healthy, talk to Roger or Peter Crone. I, I know a lot about health, you know, but the systems that are in place, they want people to be sick. That's how they make money. Like you don't walk into like a big farmer at the end of the first quarter, they've lost a lot of money from drug sales. They don't go, yes, it's working. People are getting yeah. healthy. No, they're like, no, pump more money into commercials. Like, you know, get it to the kids or whatever that, you know, it's just, it's very sinister. I mean, I'm just, it's just an objective fact. You know, it's, you just got to recognize that these people don't want people to be well. And people are waking up and go, hang on a minute. Like, why are they pumping billions of dollars into, you know, this very dangerous solution that's already killing people versus why don't we just put a few million people into educating people about health and wellness and stop giving them shitty processed food? I mean, hello, that would be an organization that cares about health. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's just revealing what people haven't processed. And at the same time, it's revealing so much of the corruption that's out there in these big systems, which is, which is great in terms of the evolution of our species. If we're going to continue to access our potential, then we have to see the BS that's out there and in us. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, some hopefully. people are seeing, some people Breaking are up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you got a, a valid point that it is revealing a lot of weak-minded people. Um, you know, you got so, and it's, it's also revealing um, those that are, let's say, metabolically damaged, the real mm -hmm. unhealthy people. You know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's quite interesting when they say, yeah, if you've got any underlying issues, then, yeah, you're, you know, you, you potentially can die. And right. so I'm like, OK, so if you don't, then you're OK. Yeah, I guess so. So what's like, what's with this mad push on this vaccination for everyone talking about, you know, this uh, passport vaccination and stuff? I'm like, yeah. I mean, okay, this is slightly diverting a bit, but um, it's, I just find it quite fascinating, really, in, in the, the direction it's going there. But anyway, um, yeah. yeah, it's revealed how a lot of people are just not really taking care of their health. And I think if you're not yeah. taking care of your health, then it's, it's going to affect the way you think as well. If you mm -hmm. eat healthy, you're going to think so much healthier. Anytime I decide, okay, I'm going to have a cheat meal. Mm -hmm. I know that doesn't matter how much I eat. I'm still going to have a six pack. So I'm not concerned about that. But I do right. know that the next day I could potentially end up with a headache. And right. I do know that my feelings can be, my, like my hormones can be shot. Next day yeah. I'm going to be feeling a certain way. And it's almost like everybody around me just giving you a heads up tomorrow might not be a good person. So <laughs> I'm, I'm aware of that, you know? Yeah. Now, yeah. this is when I have a cheat meal and you have people that live off 
cheat meals. Like this is their food all the time. So if they yeah. eat in crap food all the time, yeah. then imagine if that is their emotions all the time. They're not yeah. gonna be making rational decisions and they're gonna be just responding to things in a real exaggerated manner. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most people honestly treat their bodies like trash cans, you know, and like it's, but I just, you know, it's it's a tough subject because I know what you're saying about people are weak-minded, but this is where I guess the 17-year-old who was standing in his bedroom by himself kicks in a bit. And like, I do want to bring love and compassion. People are, I always say people are doing the best they can within the limits of their awareness, right? So it, it doesn't serve anyone if we come from a place of judgment. I mean it's it's one thing to point out where someone is struggling it's another thing to make them wrong for it you know so i think people are doing the best they can but this is where again i look more to institutions governments and big corporations who through their manipulative marketing have have coerced people to make choices that aren't good for them like i was saying like I, this isn't even a judgment it's just a fact pharmaceutical companies want to sell drugs they're a business like i want to sell my online courses you know it's like every business wants to generate revenue it's just there's a massive conflict of interests when people are saying they're wanting to make money but off your demise like to me that starts to become like a bit like okay this is sinister you know so in in my practice ayurveda which is an indian form of healing like chinese medicine like we look at someone's uh, constitution based on elements the most revered doctor in ayurveda is the one that doesn't have any clients or patients like because he's educated his community on how to stay healthy now what a beautiful premise right yeah whereas here in the west it's like oh Who's the best doctor? Who does everyone go and see? It's like, well, how freaking good can he or she be if everyone has to keep going to see him? You know, right? That's not yeah. a doctor anymore. That's a drug dealer. You know, that's just facts. <laughs> you know, you just got to wake up and see, well, wait a minute. You want to be healthy. Listen, it's got its place. If I'm in a car accident, like for triage and, you know, acute intervention or emergencies, Pharma, doctors, hospitals, amazing, can save people's lives. The, you know, the claws of life pulling people out of cars. And I had a friend who had a tumor in his skull and brain surgery. I mean, amazing, you know, but for the day-to-day -day stuff that could completely be absolutely eradicated and mitigated by the fact that people would change their diet, change their lifestyle. That's where I have issues. Like if, if the powers that be, these clowns on TV, like cared about people's health and wellness, they would put money, effort, marketing into teaching people how to meditate, grounding, putting your feet on the soil, uh, stay away from GMO foods, definitely don't eat anything covered in glyphosate, which is, you know, some of these big billionaires who are just investing in companies under the auspices of philanthropy and making a difference. No, you're freaking killing people, you know? Yeah. So that would be the push is like, let's educate people on to how to have a beautiful lifestyle, you know, get better sleep. Get some sun exposure. Have a nice community. Look at what are your deep-seated limiting beliefs. Like That would create an amazing species. But no, stay inside. Don't get any sun. Don't see anyone. Eat food that is terrible for you. We'll leave the liquor stores open, but we'll shut down Mother Nature. No, it's for your health and safety. <laughs> it's like, I mean, come on. Like, wild, isn't it? It's wild. <laughs> 
It's, it's I said it's nuts. wild. Like absolutely nuts. But people are seeing through it. People are seeing the absolute garbage. So, you know, so that processed food, all of that. To go back to your question, yeah, it's tough. But it's like people walk through a supermarket. The colors, you know, there's just so much subtlety in the way that people get marketed. They watch their TV shows and they're not even paying attention, but the brain goes into a particular mode where it's very receptive and you see that particular cereal and frosties and, you know, all the shit that they do. I mean, they have got serious psychologists and um, linguistic programmers who help with marketing. Yeah. And it's been it's been going on during this whole year with all the board BS that's coming from the media, the way that they speak, the things that they say, you know, they have a death counter, but they don't have the fact that, oh, yeah, for every thousand people that died, there's like, you know, 10 million that survived. <laughs> you know, it's like put a survival counter and they're like, oh, look, it's not an issue. There's a way to present stats that will exacerbate people's fear. And that's just what's been going on. Mm, yeah, yeah. All perspective, my friend. And that's why I love working on the mind. Like it's one of my favorite quotes by Marcel Proust. He said, the journey of true discovery lies not in finding new lands, but in looking through new eyes. That's true discovery. Mm. And we're learning. A lot of people are learning to look through new eyes right now. That's good, man. That's good. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I do feel that it's not happening quick enough, but hey. Um, yeah that's all perspective but um what's the okay so if you if you were to look at like relationships like uh romantic relationships what would mm -hmm. you say is is one of the key things to a good romantic relationship besides good sex feeling stressed or want to feel more relaxed in a stressful situation well apollo nero helps your body recover from stress so you can sleep better, focus, and relax when you need it. It's a wearable device which you strap to your wrist like a watch or you can wear it around your ankle. It works by something called touch therapy, sending your body soothing vibrations, speaking to your nervous system, telling you you are in a safe environment. Now, this has been developed by neuroscientists and physicians, and it's non-invasive. If you're about to go to a meeting and you're feeling a bit nervous, you can strap on the Nero to prime you for the meeting. If you have finished a training session and you need your body to wind down and recover, the Apollo Nero would come in very handy for that also. I personally let my six-year-old daughter use it just before she goes to school to prime her body for learning and before bed in the evening as she winds down and gets ready for sleep. To get your hands on one of these Apollo Nero devices, just visit Apollo Nero, which is spelt O-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. ApolloNero.com and use code SNIPES10 for 10% off. It's time to get to know a more calmer, more mindful you. Because <laughs> <laughs> many people, yeah. they meet each other, they are attracted, and they're like, whoa, yeah. I'm attracted. So this is a good basis for a relationship. And then yeah. they just get tucked in and 
realize later, actually, I don't even like this person, <laughs> you know, and that could be years down the line. And I yeah. made that mistake before when I was younger. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and after that relationship, I was like, you know what? I am not going to do that again. I, I, I'm glad I learned from it. Yeah. Um, but there's people who go through that all the time, you know, they, 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 you know, visual, uh, especially guys, maybe not so yeah. much women, even though, yeah, it does happen, but, um, yeah, well, anyway, yeah. What's, what's the basis of a, a good relationship, you know, a longevity relationship? No, it's a great question. And it's certainly, you know, uh, a huge part of my work with anyone. I could be working with an athlete or an entertainer or a business person, but they eventually we will be looking at the quality of their relationship. So I would say they're, you know, one of the most pivotal parts is knowing how to listen. Mm. And this is where men struggle, particularly men don't listen. Women listen very well, you know, especially to each other when they're girlfriends. Uh, they they allow each other to have their feelings and men don't understand that so much men are very like binary it's sort of zero or one like you know it's very basic it's like you've got a problem well let's just fix it versus listening to the fact that their girlfriend their wife their sister their mom is just having a tough day and they don't really need you to do anything they just want somebody to be able to listen to what they're saying so that they feel gotten they feel heard so what I teach a lot of my men is like, just hold space for your feminine counterpart, whoever they be, and just understand, wow, that just like, I'm really sorry, you just had a really tough day. That just sounds like, you know, I can understand why you're so tired. And I'm sorry to hear that. Like that, that's gold to a woman versus like, well, why don't you just sleep more? <laughs> you know, she's like, no, you're just, <laughs> you're not getting it. Right? So, you know, so that's so listening would be the first part. And then listening to me, I would equate with love because if you're really listening, you're allowing someone to be who they are, which is another form of love, like the absence of judgment. In, in romantic relationships, unfortunately, by virtue of the way that ego works, the ego wants to make other people wrong so that it can make itself right. It's one way that the, the persona garners some sense of value. If I can make someone wrong, then I feel like good about myself. It's a pretty pathetic and childish way that people try to get some self-worth. But so not making somebody wrong, you know, if you're in a relationship and you're constantly bickering at each other, it's a wrong right match. And that's just childish. It's just basically grow up, you know. So romantic relationships are only going to work if you have the presence of love, which allows you to listen. Don't make the other person wrong. You honor who they are. It doesn't mean like you will eventually want to stay with them. Like I can love anyone. It doesn't mean that I want to have a romantic relationship. I just allow them to be who they are you know, which is really the profound energy of complete acceptance. And that also is very freeing for me because then whether people like me or not, like it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. You know, that's just their perspective. Like I'd much rather somebody actually be derogatory towards me than say something nice, wait till I walk away and then say something derogatory about me to their friend. At least with the person who was direct with me, I, I know where I stand. You know, They're all the other person was just freaking lying. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, transparency, honesty, vulnerability, all of these buzzwords that we hear in society about relationships, they all can only happen by virtue of the fact that we hold a space of love and acceptance for each other, knowing that it's transitory. Every relationship is transitory. Even if it's 60 years long, it's still transitory, right? Meaning at some point there is going to be separation, but 
by virtue of the fact that you leave, one dies, whatever it is. So to sort of honor the fact that we are all here as individuals and it's, you know, through the grace of God and the human experience that I get to even have a relationship. And sometimes it can be difficult, but like with yourself, it's the way that I learned something about myself. Like for me, that was the big catalyst for my awakening is I was, I was in love with a woman. She left me, which was exactly how my karma had set it up so that she could walk away so that I would be re revisiting the feeling of loss from my parents dying, right? And so if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have gone, wow, you know, I've been really scared of her leaving me, which meant my communication was subtly different. I was a very loving boyfriend, but maybe a little bit over the top, like, you know, like very generous and gifts. And I'd always put her first, which sounds great, but it had this undercurrent of fear that she might leave me, right? So it wasn't completely fully authentic, right? right? It was more survival. It was my fear of loss, which manifested, which then allowed me to see it so that I could break free of it. So relationships are the conduit for our own evolution. So I would throw that in the hat for any romantic relationship is to keep growing with each other, you know, to use each other's karmas and the way that you perceive things to allow each other to evolve so that there's no stagnation. So yeah, there's a few things there to focus on, but. <laughs> That's cool, yeah. And, and, you know, the way you were saying how, I can't remember what word you used, but you eventually kind of at least separate by death. I remember transitory, was, yeah. transitory. Yeah. There was um, somebody mentioned something. There was, I think it was a caption, which was um, it, when you're in a relationship, it's like you're both going two separate journeys together. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. And I thought, that's yeah. really cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Companionship is a, a word that I love because, you know, it, I, I mean, it's common knowledge, so it's not like I'm name dropping, but like the person I traveled around the world training for five years was Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, right? Like, so, you know, he's renowned for that movie with Rene Zellweger, like Jerry Maguire, where he says, you complete me, you know, and it's just such this famous cheesy romantic line right mm. and to me it's such a disservice to any romantic relationship to come from that position of you complete me i get it you know it like appeals to all the hopeless romantics of which i'd say i'm one i love romance i love love but it's a it's an inaccurate statement to say you complete me much rather i'm complete you're complete but together there's an exponential fusion that allows us to have companionship and explore life but we're still going to be on our own individual journeys whilst we simultaneously support each other in our own growth and we share amazing experiences and we create beautiful memories. But if someone completes me, then we're now completely and utterly in a world of dependency. And if one leaves the other, then we go back to the perception of our broken self. Mm -hmm. And that's a disservice to the individual and the relationship because on the relationship end, it puts too much pressure because, you know, well, I, I'm not, I'm not going to survive. I'm not going to make it without you, you know, and which is now putting a burden on the reciprocated, you know, person that you're with, like, and that becomes sort of mirror image back, which is, yes, you know, you complete me. So therefore, if you leave me, I'll be devastated, right. which is okay. I understand the feeling, but to put it into the, you know, umbrella term of you complete me. Again, it's just, you get the point. It's a complete disservice to the fact that we're an integral whole being, just having a beautiful experience with somebody else, whether it's for 
you know, a week or a lifetime, whatever it is, it doesn't really a matter. Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> a night. Um, it's just, you know, again, for me, relationships are the beautiful catalyst by which we get to experience our true self and hopefully bring more freedom and love to everybody else in the process. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. As you was talking of coaching, has there, has there been anyone who you felt, I just can't work with this person. This person is hard work. Like, <laughs> can't coach him. Look, just, just take your money back. In fact, here's some interest. <laughs> Don't mention my name to anyone. <laughs> has, has there been um, anyone that has been like hard work? I mean, you don't need to mention any names. But no, no, you, no, no. Have you come across um, uh, any clients where you thought, ah, no, man, I think, I think this person might be too damaged. They need someone else. Never that. that. That's never been my response. Uh, I have fired two clients, only two. One, she was working with me for the wrong reasons. It was more because of who I was working with in the arena of like, you know, VIPs. And so she wanted to sort of, I guess, by association, be involved with these people, you know, right? right? Just like, oh, he works with so-and-so, so I have to work with him. And I could just tell she wasn't committed to the work. So that, that I mean, it only lasted a couple of weeks. People sign up for a three-month program or something. And I was like, you know what? Listen, it's all good. You, you know, you're a lovely lady. I don't feel like this is a good time for you. You're not fully committed. Because it takes work to want to make these, you know, deep-seated changes. Um, so I just gave her a check back. And then the, other, the only other guy, he was actually a big, big-time CEO. And after I, he he'd had this issue... I'm not going to go into details, sure. but, you know, the work was so profound and I'd feel very confident about what I do, but he'd had an issue that he'd tried to work on for almost like 24 years, 25 years with therapy and different, whatever, different strategies. And after one session, I helped him understand where he came from and his, it was a behavioral habit that he had that he didn't like about himself uh, and it stopped after one session, right? So that's pretty profound after 24, five years of trying. Wow. And um, anyway, then we, we, we did a few more sessions and I'd start to teach some of my profound distinctions. Now, some of them I teach, you know, I share on podcasts because I like to be very generous. People hear my quotes like, you know, I, I think I've shared one or two today, but mm -hmm. I've certainly shared many of my quotes, which are going to be the format of my book on podcasts. And people are usually very generous and they're kind to honor the integrity of my work. And when they post it on Instagram, they say from Peter Crone, whatever, right? Like I do the same. So, but he, he just on his Instagram and because of who he was, he had a pretty big following. He literally took something that I taught him. And he said, I had like in his own first person, he said, I had this big realization the other day. <laughs> and he made it completely like, his, like it was his own revelation. And I saw this and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, dude, you've like got gazillion dollars. You know, it's like, like, what? Like, I mean, I'm not asking for a ticker tape parade or like, oh, Peter Crone is the greatest this and that. Although I did get rid of something he'd had for 25 years, that might have warranted like a thank you. But yeah. you could have just this at least a tribute, you know, just put my freaking into like it's not a big deal. Like I, I mean, people are probably stealing my shit and using quotes, whatever it happens. But you're working with me, and you know you were. 
So, so I was like, listen, dude, we, we have different value systems. Like I honor people's work. I always attribute a quote to whoever it is. Like even on my Instagram, Nelson Mandela to Abraham Lincoln, you know, whatever. It's like, who cares? Like, you know, it's just like, it's just courtesy. So that was the only guy. I was like, you know what? I'm out. Ah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I've worked my ass off to get to where I am, you know, to have these insights and, you know, no family. So like, you know, everything that I do is part of my business and I take a lot of pride in what I share and I've been incredibly generous for 50, 60 podcasts or whatever I've done out there in the world with probably a hundred hours of content that's changed hundreds of thousands of people's lives already, you know, so um, I, you know, it means the world to me when people reciprocate and they acknowledge the source of something, you know, makes sense. Totally makes sense. Simple things, but yeah, so that's it. Otherwise, no, there's no one that I felt like I couldn't help by virtue of their condition. Like to me, you know, and again, there's going to be a range, you know, for the most part, I work with that first standard deviation. You've got your outliers where someone might literally have a cognitive disorder. You know, if I, I've got friends who have autistic kids, like, you know, like they're, there's going to be a different level of communication. Yeah. And that might not be something that's sort of rectifiable, you know, just by virtue of the genetic makeup. So when it gets to that level of depth, like if it's in someone's genes, you know, that's, that's going to be hard. If it's in their code, their subconscious narratives, then that I can work with. Mm, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So <clears throat> I don't wait. Uh, next question. So if, um, so I was working with a client who was a psychotherapist, but I was, mm -hmm. I was personal training her, not, not, mm -hmm. not coaching her on anything else. But yeah, I was personal training her. And we used to have these really great discussions about just, just human beings and you know, just yeah. um, psychology and stuff like that. And she used to talk about loads of things to do with childhood. That was the main thing that she focused on. But <clears throat> one of the things I discovered from the conversation that we had was because she was a psychotherapist, she also needed a psychotherapist yeah. to deal with a lot of the baggage that she was carrying, really, from, you know, yeah. this, like, this just, like, deep insecurities of people and just, like, lots of weight that she's carrying around. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have a coach which you work with that takes some baggage off you great question so i don't have a coach um i find that a lot of my work gets resolved by virtue of the fact that i'm working with a lot of people right so okay. when i'm in dialogue with someone about whatever it is they're dealing with like even yesterday i gave the example of the people that i had some friends here and i was helping that one girl go back to the eight-year-old uh, I, I you know people who are paying attention will remember i was talking about someone who went back to being eight and she had this decision she made about her mom and her grandma. So by virtue of the fact that I'm having this conversation with this woman yesterday, there's a certain degree of um, self-therapy that happens just because I'm having the conversation. This is someone I've never done a session with and it was very impromptu. It just happened organically at the table. It wasn't like she came here for a session. We're all just having a nice sort of lazy holiday Monday. And um, so as I'm speaking, two things happen. One, I get confirmation of my own insights, right? So it's like when a golf instructor is teaching someone how to swing a golf club, they're reinforcing their own education. Yeah. 
But then by virtue of who I'm speaking to, invariably, I'll have to create a, a different metaphor based on what they do for a living so they can relate. Like if I spoke to her out, you know, swinging at a 19 mile an hour pitch, like I would to one of my baseball players, it, it, it doesn't make sense for her story. Yeah. But I could pull from her example of her life and go, well, because you're in the wellness industry and you provide service, can you see that you develop the need to do that when you're eight for your mom? So that, do you see? So, so two things happen. One, I reinforce my own understandings. And then two, I generate new distinctions, which help me too. So that's, that's one way that supports me. Two, to go back to tribe earlier, I have a great community of friends who've done a lot of work. You know, some of them have done plant medicine stuff, which is not my vibe, but that gives them deep, profound insights about life. Some of them have just done traditional therapy and some of them just, you know, gone through the school of hard knocks and they've had to learn a lot of shit, you know? <laughs> so there's beautiful conversations that way. And then I do have someone that I will occasionally call who's more like a, a spiritual intuitive. She's, you know, she's just out there. And so occasionally I'll check in and just say, hey, you know, like I'm having this thought. Often it can be just a an, an, an inquiry, a question versus something that I feel like I'm dealing with. It's like, huh, you know, I was just wondering about blah, blah, blah. Like everything about COVID, like I've spoken to her a lot about like, wow, like I didn't really think about this, but there's, I think there's actual evil on the planet. Like, you know, maybe I was just naive, but like to have that conversation and then she speaks from her point of view. Yes, on this planet, there's all dimensions, there's all frequencies, there's the dark, there's the light, there's the good, the bad, you know. So it's just more like a philosophical conversation, but again, it can give me some support. So mm. there's different ways that I get my tank filled. And then I'm just probably like you, very, very diligent in the way that I take care of myself, which to your point earlier, allows me to have a clear mind. Like if I don't get my sleep, if I don't do my exercise, if I don't, you know, supplement myself well with good food and minerals and, and vitamins and whatever I need, then I know that I'm going to be somewhat compromised. So that's just become my own commitment to my own health and wellness. And, you know, being 153, I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Uh, do, do you do any um, uh, soul searching or soul healing? And do you believe in spiritualism at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's really the basis of my work. You know, like we've had a few DMs recently where people are like, forget about mind architect, you're the soul architect. You know, it's like the mind is really the bridge between the body and the soul. So really, I'm using that to access our true nature. Like my whole work is about spirituality. It's about recognizing with these souls having this physical experience. You know, we're not human beings so much as we're a spiritual being having the human incarnation so that we can reveal where is it that the soul is still confined is the way that I look at it. So really, my work is about the revealing the essence of ourself, which is called spirit or soul or consciousness, and the qualities of the soul. The soul, the soul doesn't come from fear. The ego does, the persona, right? So we've sort of got our humanity, which is with all of its perceived inadequacies, insecurities, and scarcity ideas. And then the soul beneath that, which is in my mind, boundless, limitless. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're the infinite, but looking through the lens of the finite. And that's why we struggle, right? Mm -hmm. You put a beautiful stallion of a horse into like a horse carriage. It, you know, it's like, it can't move, right? So it's so like, you've got to bust open the doors and let that thing freaking run, you know? So 
that to me is kind of the human experience is the mind is like the trap of the horse box, but who we are is this, you know, limitless, powerful resource of life itself and love and an inherent value that is wanting to break out of the confines of our subconscious limitations. That's basically, you know, in a very unbasic way, what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So the philosophers out there, they're probably going, oh my God, this is amazing. So yeah, so it's, you know. <laughs> That's cool. Like it does sound pretty spiritual from what you say. So I just wanted to know whether that was the angle in which you might see things, you know, because hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. it's really cool. Really cool. Have you yeah. have you tried anything like past life regression or anything? Don't know if That's no, I haven't done that. I don't do that with others. I can. The way I look at it is whether it happened five minutes ago, five years ago, or five lifetimes ago, it's still irrelevant. If you know, if you haven't dealt with it, like the baggage that you were talking about with the psychiatrist or the psychotherapist that you were training, like. You know, anything that's unreconciled that we carry with us, I'm less interested in where it came from. I just know it's from your history, right? Mm -hmm. So the history, as I said, could be like, you know, infinite, or it could be just like, you know, it happened like last week with my mother-in-law. You know, it's like, okay, great. Well, if you're still carrying shit, let's like take care of that so that you're free. So yeah. I, I think there's something to it, but I, I tend to collapse time so that I don't look at the delineations of a lifetime. I just look at your history and then that tends to inform your future which is where people get worried and anxious you know like one of my quotes i say past hurt informs future fear so anything yeah, that we've had as yeah, right you might have seen that one so yeah so wherever there's past hurts or things that haven't been reconciled i want to do the housekeeping and tidy that up so that people become fully present everything's complete and then they're not worried about their future so Mm. wherever it comes from you know it's it's less less relevant to me personally in my work right right so I, that's my thought is that maybe with people who do the past life regression that maybe it's it's a case of like bringing it to the surface to find out okay why do you keep doing this i don't know yeah. they might be doing the same mistake all the time so and it might not be um it's not a conscious thing you know, no, no, no. I don't understand yeah. why I keep doing this. So they see someone like that and they get hypnotized and they find out that they were, I don't know, they were living a certain way before. And yes. uh, now they're back and they're doing the same thing. Yes. Yeah. But that, but that right there just reinforces my point. So I'm less worried about when it came. I will notice the pattern regardless, right. whether it was from a previous life. Or like I said, from their childhood or maybe something they developed, you know, in their early 20s or 30s from their first heartbreak. So it's like looking at history as just one entire thing, regardless of how many lifetimes. Okay. I'm still able to notice the pattern, pull it to the surface, like you said, like to bring awareness. Bringing awareness is the first part of my work. Like people can't be held accountable for that, which they're oblivious to is another one of my quotes. So that's where there's no judgment. If they don't know about it, like you said, I don't know why I keep attracting the same guy who's doesn't take care of me or he's disrespectful. Well, that's because of some deep seated lack of self-worth that that woman is carrying. And that might be from three lifetimes ago, or it might be just from the way that her older siblings spoke to her, who knows, right? In this lifetime. But I can still help her see in this case, wow, you really think that who you are is worthless. So that energetic dimension has to attract based on your frequency, somebody who's going to reflect that, which is 
in your vernacular, a guy who doesn't treat you well. Well, that's because you don't treat yourself well at the deepest vibration. But if we change that by bringing awareness to it, go, oh my gosh, yes, I can remember that I've always felt like that. Okay, great. Well, you're the continual theme in your life. So no surprise, <laughs> you know? And so once we reconcile that, then all of a sudden it's like I get an email in two weeks. It's like, oh my God, I met the most amazing man. He loves me, adores me. And it's like, well, yeah, because you found that for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the beauty of frequency and understanding how when we change our vibratory state, then the circumstances of our life will adjust accordingly. Yeah, yeah. That's cool though. That's real, that's real cool to just that there's uh, no hypnotherapy required there. You can just pretty much. I don't yeah. know, hone in on it and just like, okay, we're going to deal with that right there. That's amazing. That's why they call me the mind architect. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference. Makes no, difference. no regular mind architect to do that. <laughs> <laughs> he says oh, humbly. Yes, yes. Um, that's awesome. Well, um, I think lots of people have a real dogmatic approach to decision making. It's like it's either yes or no, it's black or white. Yeah. Uh, Pro-vax or anti-vax. I find that quite interesting, really. Yeah. You can't be yeah. like, do you know what? I just want to, I just want to figure it out. I just want to work out if this can work for me. It's like, no, yes or no. It's it's really yeah. weird. Um, why yeah. is it many people? are just like, they can't seem to, why are people so dogmatic? You know, they can't identify that there is a, a, a between. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's like this or that, especially, yeah, as we talk about, you know, vaccination or if we talk about like religions, um, yeah. that's a crazy yeah. one. If I do a post and I mention, and if I was to wear a turban, I'd probably get <laughs> the most comments on that where people, you know, I'll get like, Muslims, Christians, Sikh, uh, uh, Buddhists, yes. and everyone's like, this is the way, this is the way. Like, and no right. one is just like, do you know what? It could be their way. It could be, yeah, why is that? Why, why are people so, um, yeah, dogmatic? Well, we again, goes back to what I said earlier about conditioning and we're programmed through this dualistic lens. Like, look at a kid. How's a kid taught, right? Something's good, something's bad. That was right. This is wrong. Right. And so there's this world of dualism that we've grown up, we're brought up in. So you tend to sit on one side or the other over here. You know, it's like you're Democrat or you're Republican in a labor or conservative. Like it's an either or, which is how the mind tends to work because of its dualistic nature. But that's very linear. Whereas now we're heading into what I think is a quantum realm, even in the world of physics. Now we've, you know, it's it's obviously been a few decades, but we're talking about quantum physics. So I think as a species, we're looking at who are we when we're looking from the quantum realm, which is it's a multitude of possibilities. It's not an either or anymore. Right. And that's part of the evolution of our species is to recognize that there can be hybrids. Like when I was helping somebody yesterday, also at my house, I was talking about how the way his mind was working was like that. Well, I've got to do this, so I've got to do that. And I said, he's, he was a doctor. I said, you're incredibly intelligent. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you have a good imagination. So your sense of possibility might be slightly better than 
Joe Blow on the street, right? In terms of like how you think what's possible. But I said, well, I want you to understand is what you think is possible is not what's possible. You know, they, he really got it. Like, like, wow, as an intelligent man, as a doctor, I've got a great imagination, high IQ, but even what I think is possible is not what's literally possible. It's much vaster. And I said, you could sit like you're sitting on my by my kitchen table. And I said, you could walk out of my house right now and you could walk all the way up to San Francisco. I'm not saying that's a smart choice. I'm not saying it wouldn't come with consequences, but that's available to you in the realm of everything's possible. And I said, I promise you, until I said those words, you weren't thinking about I could walk out of here and go up. to." He's like, no, I wasn't. I was like, see. That's a perfect evidence right there that the way that your mind is structured is by design limited. So to keep knocking down these shackles and to keep busting open, you know, the view of what's available to us in life is the process of expansion and evolution. So to get out of this good, bad, right, wrong, black, white, zero, one, blah, 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 and go, wait a minute, what if? Like the whole anti-vaxxing is just, that's all propaganda, right? Like, it's just complete nonsense. That is marketing to try and that's all that is, right? There's no such thing. Like, some of the healthiest people I know wouldn't touch this damn thing. Like, there's, it's, I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Why would you put toxic material of any kind into your body, especially from companies whose products have killed millions of people? That's just fact, you know, and correctly prescribed. We're not even talking about, sadly, the millions that have died from addictions of the benzodiazepines and the freaking, you know, amphetamines and the oxycontins and, you know, that's a pharma drug that's killing people, right? So why, why, like that, that's got nothing to do with anti-vax, that's called pro-health or that's called anti-stupidity maybe, but like pro-intelligence, right? Yeah. Right, so it's just about breaking out of the shackles of the way that we've been conditioned as a society to think it's like chocolate or vanilla, you know, it's like, no, there's, there's a myriad of choices out there. And if we're going to evolve and not just completely and utterly you know, be to our own demise, which, you know, of course, is part of the agenda, apparently, like if you, you know, the depopulation is so that you've got one guy who's saying he wants to like depopulate the world, and the same guy's invested in injections. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, which part aren't you make? Like, which part aren't you getting here? Anyway, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a very sensitive subject for some people. No. I'm like, listen, I'm pro health. I'm like, let's make people vital. Let's educate people about taking care of themselves, even in the States. The CDC, it's a government-driven database. Only 5%, only 5% of the people that died here, which is still sad, I get it, died from the virus alone. Think about that, 5%. That's 25,000 people relative to the half a million, whatever. 95% had an average of four comorbidities, aka they were sick as shit. You know, why didn't we help those people to not be so sick? Right. And it wouldn't take so much money. It wouldn't take all of this garbage lockdowns. You know, let's help people to eat better, to move their bodies, to not have diabetes, obesity, cardiac disease, all of the shit that like. health. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too smart for my good. It's basic questions is so true. So true. Yeah. Just um, like, have you know, start a dialogue. Yeah. So conditioning, anyway, that's why we go through zeros and ones and that conditioning is falling apart. People are like, even in government, like they're really desperately trying to hold on to this polarity, right? Of like you're blue or you're red. And it's like, it's just so basic. It's like, 
What about like we look at somebody who's a good leader who has good values and maybe they cherry pick from both sides. Like, why does it have to be an either or? And I think if we, as I said, if we're going to evolve and we're going to survive as a species versus just kill ourselves or be killed by big corporations, then, um, you know, we, we've got to get out of the rut of it's an either or conversation. I feel like a lot of people just want simple answers. They don't want too much to think about. Like, okay, what's the one pill yeah. that is going to make me lose weight? What's the one protein yeah. supplement? I just just want the one answer. Yeah. What is the one diet? Like, what one thing yeah. do you eat? Like, dude, like I got a multitude of stuff on my plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I need the exact food that you're eating. It's going to be different for you. Oh, yeah, getting complicated. Like, people don't. <laughs> you know, there's no yeah, that's true thinking. It's, it's uh, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. And again, so, that's just where people are at. So we meet, meet people where they're at and we have love and compassion for that. But then it becomes a conversation of like, it's not about good or bad or anymore. It's about what works, right? Like, so we start to get into the principles of objective functionality. Like, okay, yes, this protein may work for you at this time of your life for this period of time, but it, it's not like a silver bullet, right? And that's why I love Ayurveda because... Ayurveda, like I was saying, the, the sort of the medical arm of yoga, like it's like Chinese medicine. Yeah. We, we never treat a disease. We don't treat diseases. We treat the person. Yeah. And depending on someone's constitution, people are going to have different responses. There's different forms of anxiety, different forms of depression. It's not like, oh, let's just treat depression. Right. Well, it depends on your constitution. Are you more air? Are you more fire? Are you more earth? you're going to have a slightly different experience of it. And for that reason, there's a different treatment process. So, you know, so you don't, I mean, if you buy a Ferrari, it's going to be very different than if you buy like an old clapped out Toyota Corolla or whatever, you know, it's like they're going to, they, they need different maintenance and different fuel and they're going to have a different performance capacity, right? So you got, this is where it does, it just has to become individualized. I mean, there's no getting around it. Now, people don't want to do that because they're lazy or they don't care. Okay, well, then that's fine. We, we love you the same. And you're going to deal with the consequences of trying to, you know, one size fits all approach to life. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the situation we're in. Like when I, you know, and you was talking about the layout of like supermarkets and stuff like that and how people go in and they just yeah. buy garbage. Like I see it. Yeah. Like I'm, it's when I step in the shop, I see these things. It's, it's highlighted yeah. to me. When I see certain colors, when I, I think my daughter's freaking toy is ringing. Can you hear it? Not really. No. Very, very mild. You're fine. Mm, okay. Um, and it, it just makes me think, wow, I can't believe this is, this is happening. Uh, people yeah. can't see this, you know? You never see yeah. like, like organic food on um, special offer. You know, right. Right. yeah, ever. Just, this uh, is the expensive. I want to see that on special offer, not you know, yeah. uh, three liter bottles of Coke and stuff like that. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> no, it's madness. It's madness. It, the fact that you can walk through uh, like a you know a shop or grocery store and they've got their the health section, right? Well, that's the health section, and it's like probably two three percent of the whole store. What does that say about the rest of the store? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and 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 items that say um, you know reduced sugar, reduced fat. I'm thinking yeah. reduced from what? 
are you saying that it was bad in the first place? Like, why did you need to reduce it? You know, yeah. it's, it's very simple. And listen, like we're all human. I, I, you know, I put some man-made stuff in my body, but I, I ask people just consider, is it nature made or is it man-made? Like right there, that, that just helps people go, oh wait, I hadn't thought of it like that. Like put stuff that's nature made in your body not man-made and that's what's going on right now there's a lot of man-made shit that's been put in people's body you know toxic chemicals our airs and glyphosates which is a carcinogen our oceans are full of toxins you know and now people are literally putting toxins into their body it's like and then you wonder why humanity's sick it's like this is just 101 this is like basic like health conversation yeah, <laughs> anyway I mean, again, I, I this is why I laugh because like we've got to meet people where they're at. If if this is what people want to do, then I honor their. You know, it's like I want there to be respect either way. I'm not making anyone wrong, but when people go, well, hang on a minute, why did I have all of these reactions and now I'm sick or my children are sick? Like, well, you know, if you had a glass of water that was clean and another glass of water was clean and you put ink or dirt into one and then you're like, well, how come that one doesn't look so good? It's like, well. You just put a bunch of shit in there that isn't natural, you know? And like, we're basically 70% water. So think about it that way. Like, are you, are, are you purifying your water or are you contaminating it with stuff? Yeah, that is it. <laughs> that is it. You mentioned a quote. I think it's like the last question. You mentioned um, yeah. perfectionism. What is it? Perfectionism is a behavioral, was it a behavioral adaptation? Um, Oh, to a belief of insecurity yes yes um yeah believe in your yeah inadequate so yeah a person who says i'm a perfectionist is is basically saying i don't think i'm good enough <laughs> i need to buy me some time to figure this out like what's what's yeah and 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 again i get very you know I get very refined with language because um, to me, language is how we're all conditioned. Like you could sit with someone and you're creating an app or a piece of software. And if you're with a coder who really knows how to code well, or even building something as relatively simple today as a website, they have to put the code specifically to get the outcome, right? Like, you could say, well, why are you being so specific about why the N has to go after the O and then that, you know, you put the hashtag symbol and then it is that, well, that's how the computer responds. It's like, if I don't, then your logo is going to be spread out. It's not in the corner where you want it, right? Oh, okay, I understand. But the same is true of the mind, right? So language, words is like code. And if you're not specific with the way that you speak, then you're going to get these haphazard outcomes. So even with what you just said, if someone said, I'm a perfectionist, my response would be, no, you're not. Because it's inaccurate. You've developed the behavioral adaptation of perfectionism, but who you are is, like I said earlier, the soul that is a blank canvas that can, based on programming, decide any outcome in life once you're aware of it. But if you say, I'm a perfectionist, now it's like you've nailed your foot to the floor and now you're just going to manage that. So you're only actually reinforcing the very thing. Huh? I said like vegan. I'm a vegan. Yeah. 
I'm vegan. I'm like Catholic. I'm freaking, you know, I'm a perfectionist. Like whatever people label themselves as, it's not bad. I mean, but it's limiting. It's not, but fundamentally it's not true. It's not a truth. It's something you've adopted over time. Oftentimes the monikers that we actually take on, we didn't even choose. They were given to us by virtue of our, our parents and our family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So once you start to see that form of conditioning, it's like, again, it's very liberating. Go, oh, well, now I actually have something called choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might choose still to be like I used to. You could say I had the tendency towards perfectionism because I was scared that I wasn't enough or whatever. That's fine. That's the human journey. Till I saw that wasn't a truth. And then it's not like I realized, oh, wow, well, then why do I have to be perfect? But then I still had a tendency to want to make things as beautiful as possible, but it didn't have the underlying level of fear or like it has to be that way. Like I still like my organ, my closet, you know, my wardrobe to be beautifully organized because it's just more functional and it looks nice. Mm. But before it had to be that way. You see, it's different in the energy. So I can still have a commitment to beauty in my house. It's like I love interior design and, you know, I take care of my body. And like, you could say that's got like a hint of perfectionism, but to me, it's more a commitment to health and vitality, right? That's why I'm not anti anything. I'm like, no, I'm pro taking fucking care of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just on that one, like, like some people who say that they are perfectionists, um, a lot of them tend to, take their time to do stuff they're like yeah I'm, I'm trying to get exact how i want you know it needs to be perfect but i find that many of them they take so long it almost turns into procrastination as opposed yeah. to perfectionism What's yeah, your yeah, thoughts yeah, on yeah. that? no i mean that's definitely a condition for people and that's um i would still say that's a, a based on an imbalance that's going on in terms of like their inability to embrace their humanity and there's going to be some semblance of like worrying about outcome and how that's going to be perceived and not looking good and you know so there's this sort of maniacal approach to controlling everything yeah. versus just having a little bit more relaxation about it it's okay you know so that usually is still going to stem from like we're worried about how we occur to the world you know what are people going to think i get that yeah yeah perfect peter thank you so much for today it's been amazing amazing yeah, well, mate. and what, yeah, what is the name got... of your book you said you you got you you're working on a book is that right i'm working on my book right now yeah so the book isn't confirmed yet so i'm gonna wait till the book is done because then it will confirm that like i've got a few kind of title ideas i'm playing with okay. but um but i'm very excited it's gonna you know as far as I'm concerned, going to be incredibly impactful because I'm helping people to see what these subconscious patterns are that everybody's got. Um, but for now, yeah, people can, I still got courses that people can access. The book probably won't be out till towards the end of the year, beginning of next year. But, okay. you know, people can always go to my website, petercrone.com or my Instagram, petercroneofficial and plenty of, plenty of free content out there to help you step into a world of freedom and joy and love and vitality and you know, if you're into that kind of shit. Absolutely, yes. And what, what sort of courses? Could you just give a, a brief... Um, yeah, so the, my main one is called Free Your Mind. And depending on when this comes out, we only we only actually launch that periodically. So we're going to do one probably towards the end of July. Um, and then I've done uh, different workshops as well. One workshop on relationships, one on health, and one on our dysfunctional relationship to time. And I'm actually doing one in June on anxiety. So this is perfect for what people are going through. Mm-hmm. And that's just a two hour Zoom thing. You can, you know, one and a half hour to two hour 
so yeah, they've gone so well. People have loved that. It's a way of checking in. And I basically sort of reveal the Pandora's box of my magic to help people go, wow, there's no reason to be anxious about anything in this, in this particular workshop. That's awesome. 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 Yeah. Are you on any other um, social media channels? So you're on Instagram. Do you have Twitter at all? I don't have Twitter, no. Okay. Um, I, we have Facebook, just Peter Crow and the Mind Architect. Um, so Mind Architect, yeah. is that what it's called on Facebook? Yeah, I think so. Peter Crow and the Mind Architect. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Awesome. Peter, it's been incredible, as I said. I really appreciate your time. It's been very insightful, sir. So, Roger, thank you, mate. Appreciate can't it. Wait to share this with the world, my friend. And I, I awesome. hope to see you in person, man. Are you yeah, going to be? Gonna gonna, yeah, you're going to be at the Health Optimization Summit. That's I'm not sure. We we'll just have to see what's going on in the world with travel and all that. But you yeah. know, well, yeah, just, no, we'll we'll connect at some point. I look forward to the day, and we'll, um, yeah, we'll get. Be, you'll show me. You'll show me a few of your tricks. I'll show you some of mine. I might not be able to bench press as much as you, but. You know. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> You'll be in good hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Peter. Thank you very much. I hope you have an incredible day. Thanks, mate. You too. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So, thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five-star would be awesome but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.